So it's been wonderful to be with you guys this weekend. We really appreciate it. We'll, we'll share. Yeah. So, um, man, this is, I'm pretty stoked this morning. <laughs> excited. Excited to be here. Um, thank you, guys, Paul and Lee. I'm so glad that we got to meet in Virginia. So this has been incredible. So awesome. Thank you guys so much. We've been, you've, your hospitality, your love, your honor has been just beyond, beyond words. We've, we have felt so much at home, haven't we? Yeah. So I just want to thank you guys so much. Amen. Yeah. So I just want to pray, uh, Jesus, right now, we just thank you, Lord. And we just honor your presence that's in this room right now. And we just thank you, Lord. The word says we're two or three gathered together in your name. So you shall be in the midst. And we welcome you right now, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just rest in this place this morning. Just come and rest in our hearts. Let's ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation just to flood this room this morning. I ask for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our eyes, Lord, to hear and say what you are speaking to us individually today, where you are wanting to come inside of our hearts and lives and the places you want to occupy. Jesus, we just, we just give you full permission right now, King of kings and Lord of lords. You're our papa. You're our dad. We, we love you, and we just invite you into every place, every moment in this service right now. We love you so much, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Come on. Well, I want to um, jump right into it this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to an awesome, familiar passage, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So that is the awesome story about the woman at the well. Come on. So we've been talking about redigging wells of revival this whole week, right? We we came in with the um, with the word of the Lord Friday night. We felt for this this house in this region, and that was what strike the ground. It's really cool that you brought it to our attention yesterday. I didn't know this that Lana Vossler from Australia released a word about striking the ground, and then I just found out she re-released it again this morning in a whole new light. So I was like, wow. So I really feel like we're moving here in some some powerful way with the Lord, but we're striking the ground, we've been hitting the ground, and so I, wanna, I wanted to unravel this passage because I felt like it's so powerful about redigging wells of revival, and here's another aspect about redigging wells of revival, Jesus, right, our God, our champion, was also a well digger, <laughs> he actually dug wells and a lot, of, a lot of this weekend we've been talking about regional wells, the area, the region, the state. But this morning I want to focus on another type of well, and that's right here. Everyone in this room, we are a well. And, and I felt like I want to just share, Amber and I both kind of want to share this together this morning, of, of, of how does Jesus do this? How does he awaken the well within us? How does, how does he open up the well within us for living waters to flow? So we want to give you kind of a few things that we feel like the scripture's saying and what, what he's been speaking to us recently. Amen? Cool. So, woman at the well. Amber, you want to read us? I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Sometimes it just feels... Passion. <laughs> feels good. <laughs> so we're reading four through eight. Let me see. Okay. And he had to... Pa- I'm going to start with three from the Passion. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaritan territory. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, Why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan Samaritan woman for a drink of water? 
jump in. So I want you guys to notice the region first, right? Samaria. And I want you to also notice where he's at. It's the town called Sychar or Sychar. And it's the Samaria, but the town is called Sychar. And then the other one is the plot of ground we're at, where Jacob's well. So this wasn't just like a well. This was Jacob's well. So there was some history involved. Now, I want to just paint a picture here, a little background context of what's really going on. It's going to help, I think, really open this dynamic. Because what I've learned about this passage, that this isn't just about Jesus having dialogue with the woman at the well. That's part of it. There's a whole other intricate layer that's involved here. And it really helps going backwards in the Old Testament to see why Jesus is said he had to go to this place. This was a divine appointment. So hold it right there. We're going to come back. I want to go one more passage. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. I want you to go there. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Man, this is like going back centuries, like even a thousand plus years. And, uh, but it's very significant. If you remember that when Joshua led the people of Israel, right, they, they came out of Egypt through the 40 years of the desert, and then they took the land in the book of Joshua. And Joshua chapter 24 is the final chapter. All the first 23 chapters of Joshua is about the conquest of the land. But this final chapter is a lot different. And this final chapter, it's about government and setting up their government and honoring uh, the past. So here I want to I point this out to us. In Joshua 24 verse 1, it said, And then Joshua assembled all the tribes all the elders of Israel at Shechem. And he summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. All right, one more verse. Now I want you to skip down. Now Joshua, like through that whole chapter, he goes, he, he encourages the people about their history. He encourages the people about where they come from. But here's the last part of Joshua 20, 24 that's, that I, I always scratched my head at it. I was like, what is this all about? Check this out, verse 32. And Joseph's bones, excited now. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites have brought up from Egypt, were buried, where at? Shechem. All this, this whole place is happening, this little town called Shechem, happened at Shechem in the track of land, come on, that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Have you, have you ever wondered why Joshua would plant Joseph's bones at the end of this national ceremony right here in this land? I mean, and just, you just got to go there in history in the Bible to think about what's going on. How, how, just think about this. How, how long did they carry those bones for? Forty years. That means they carried a coffin in the desert for 40 years. Now, take it one step further. When Joseph died, that's when the slavery mark began for Israel. How long were they slaves? 400 years, right? 400 years. Like, do you get that? Joseph's bones were 400 years old before they actually took it on the 40-year journey. <laughs> I mean, think about how much honor they had. Because remember, Joseph said, I want you to take me back to the land my father, my father's, my inheritance. That's a covenant. I want you to do that. And they honored that covenant. And so they took 400-year-old remains of their forefather and carried it for 40 years. Some say it was the only bones alive in that desert during that time. And, and he and Joshua and Caleb made it in. Everybody else didn't make it in. But bones of Joseph, Joshua, Caleb, they made it in. And to honor it at the final chapter, here's Joshua putting it at Shechem. What is the point? The Greek word in John 4 for Sychar is the Hebrew word for Shechem. I just want you to think about that. Because now, when Jesus is coming to the woman at the well, if you, like, see in your spirit vision right now, go underneath the ground, Joseph's bones are buried right under his feet at this well. Got it, man. And Acts 7, we won't have to go there, but it's a good little study. If you do Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is getting stoned, he recounts Israel history. He makes this little statement. 
you won't catch it unless you're looking for it. And he goes, when our fathers were brought back from Egypt, they were buried at Shechem. That's in Acts 7. And when Stephen makes this reference, our fathers, who do you think he's referring to? Joseph, but then who else? Joseph had 11 brothers. And those 12, right, that was the original 12 tribe heads, right? Uh, Joseph, uh, Gad, Reuben, Levi, those 12 brothers became the 12 tribes that formed the government and the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And that, wouldn't that make sense? Why would, they, why would they bring Joseph's bones from Egypt but leave all the 11 brothers there in a foreign land? They would never do that. So they brought all 12 of them back. The point is, at Shechem, at Jacob's well, not only Joseph's bones, but his 11 brothers, it's a graveyard. It's a family cemetery. And Jesus is strolling into the woman at the well, and he's tapping in to deep waters. And what is the whole point of Joseph's story? You could sum it up right here. Are you ready? Forgiveness. Because the whole thing about Joseph's life is that he was dealt betrayal and woundedness from his people that were the closest to him. And he had to overcome those wounds and offer forgiveness to those who, who, who committed unforgivable acts towards him. And the whole nation of Israel was built on that foundation of forgiveness. And that's why Joshua put him there. So now Jesus is strolling into Samaria. Now remember, Samaria off limits in the Jews in Jesus' day, right? It says that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. That word associate is a legal term. That legal term means segregation in the Greek. There were segregated laws that were preventing Jews to going in Samaria at the time of Jesus. Now he's, but I, Jesus says, I have to go to that town. And he begins to break that cultural, religious, Pharisee law. And he goes on a divine appointment to the woman at the well. And he begins to tap in to the rivers of forgiveness. And he begins to have a dialogue with this woman. Is that unbelievable? And now I, I just want to just paint that picture because this is what's really going on in John 4. And so they, they get in this dialogue. And there's three things that we just want to just release here about this. Of, of how, how does Jesus open wells within us just like he did this woman? The first thing he does, are you ready? Number one, he meets us where we're at. He meets us where you're at. This is how Jesus opens up wells within us. He will meet you where you're at. Do you notice in that passage, Jesus goes, will you give me a drink? Now, I think we all know or are familiar with this passage. This woman had some challenges, did she not? Was it five husbands? Can you imagine that? Five, I don't know, is that four divorces and this is the fifth? I mean, I watched my sister go through a terrible divorce years ago. I mean, my God, I could you imagine doing that four times, five times? This, this, she had some challenges, and you just didn't, she had so much woundedness, so much brokenness, but yet Jesus is going to talk to her, and so when he sees her, he goes, will you give me a drink? And this is how Jesus works in our life, guys. He just doesn't want our best. He just doesn't want when we're feeling it, when we feel good, or we feel like the anointing is flowing or the spirit or we're having a good breakthrough moment. Jesus is after your worst moments. He's after the hard places. He's after those wounded areas that, that you're still full of shame and, and hurt and you, you don't want to let people in. You don't want to let him in because of all the woundedness and the hurt or betrayal that you've had to walk through in your life. Jesus is saying, I want that place. I want to drink from that place in your heart. God mighty. And the challenge is, will we allow him, will we give him a drink from that place? Right now, Jesus, Lord, I, I am three and a half years into a doctoral program at Regent University. I never wanted to go into education like I have. I really want to go out in the streets and tell people about Jesus. But the Lord's path in my life has led me to higher education. And I, have, I feel like I've been a student for 20 years, it seems like. It's always ongoing. And then part of that has just been awesome to have Amber 
to have our kids. The Lord has blessed my life like crazy ways. I am definitely a rich man. I feel like the richest man in so many ways. And the reason why is because it wasn't always like that. Grew up in the church. Ten years old, I was called out by the Lord. But when I hit my teenage years, I rebelled. And I just completely ran. Completely ran. I started using marijuana when I was like 13, 14 years old. By 15, I was snorting crack or snorting cocaine in high school. By 17, I was addicted to crack cocaine. That journey went on for 10 years. I ended up getting hard, hardcore addicted to meth, to crack, dabbled with heroin, and just that whole storyline goes, lost everything. Destroyed my relationship with my parents and my family. Got, went to jail, started going to prison over and over and over. Got out, went through the cycle, began to push everybody away from me. Got, got to a really desperate place, got very homeless, started living with drug dealers, hustling on the streets, went into sexual confusion. I went into sex with every relationship from male and female. At the lowest point of my life, just to be honest with you, I was prostituting my body out for $10. $10. Can okay, have a night. Wanted to, uh, I tried three times to kill myself from running cars in to going to mental places and rehabs. I mean, just nothing worked. One day I had the bright idea I robbed the crack dealer I was staying with. I ended up getting caught. It was like out of a movie. They, 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 they held me down. They were going to kill me for $400. I had to call my mom and dad my only lifeline to get out of this mess. And I call my mom, and I never forget that night on the phone, 4 a.m., my mom goes, I don't care what you've done. I am tired of it. I hope they kill you. Don't call my house again. I'm done. She hung up. And I love my mom. We had a good relationship, but because of the years of addiction and how it destroys families, she was done. My mom was done. As far as I go, my mom, I was already dead. I had robbed and manipulated him for too long. But for me, that was a, a, I'm sharing this for a reason, but that was an awakening moment. That woke me up inside. And that tough love from mom, it was like, I'm about to die, y'all. So I called up my house again. My dad answered. She's like, I'm not talking to you. And I begged my dad. I, like, literally begged my dad. I was going to die. And he said, on one condition, you have to get help. You have to get help. You've got to change your life. So I said, all right. So, like, out of a movie. They take me, kidnap as a ransom, to a gas station. My dad comes with an envelope of money, hands it to the drug dealer. I go in my dad's possession, and we drive off. Two days later, I'm in a rehab center. I do not want to go. I have nowhere else to go. I have a trash bag of dirty clothes in my name. I have nothing to live for. I have destroyed every relationship in my life, and I just, just what is my point in my life? And I walk down this path. And all I could feel was this burning, powerful love overshadowing me. And when I finally just came to it and I just said, God, if you're real, then you have to, you have to do something. You have to show me and change my life. And when I made that decision, I, I, I mean, I can't even describe it to you. It was this power, the love of the Lord just literally ripped through my whole life, my whole being. And for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I really felt loved. And you know what Jesus did in that moment? He didn't say, hey, Mike, guess what you did? You know, he, he wasn't waiting to tell me all of what I did. All he said to me was, I love you. He said, will you give me a drink? Will you invite me into this place, in this moment in your life? I don't care how messed up it is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how far you've been. If you give me a drink right now, if you invite me in right now, I will change everything. And in that moment, that's exactly what happened. 
Guys, I want to tell you, there is no king like Jesus. There is no savior like him. His love is more powerful than death. And his love is more powerful than any addiction that can rob any hope or joy out of your life or out of your family, out of your kids. God is stronger and greater than anything. And it was on that day, that that moment in my life, that love began to transform my life. But it started when I allowed him to come into those broken places. Guys, that was over 15 years ago. I've never looked back. Not one hit, not one I, I mess up, not one failure, not one. He uprooted everything. 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 Pornography, cigarettes, crack, heroin, everything. Because I fell in love with somebody who loved me for me. Not what religion taught me, but what he taught me in that moment. And he said, I don't care how pretty you think. I don't care. It doesn't matter. He says, if you just come to me, I'll clean you up. We don't have to be like perfect when we come to him. He said, just come to me broken and everything, and I'll change your life. Come on. Man, that's good news, guys. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to my. I'm going to start running. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Gee. And I just want to just, that's what's happening in this story, guys. This woman was tore up her life. This was a broken moment in her life. No one knew it. She was living a double life. And Jesus was after her, guys. He's after you. He's after this church. He's after this region. He's hungry for you. He wants to give you so much. And it just starts with, will we give him, you know, not we can put on the smile. I mean, we got to get past that. Will he, we give him the real, like the, the genuine, God, I'm jacked up, man. I, I don't know what to do. I need you to come in this part of my life. Amen. Woo. The second thing he'll do, come on, is he'll shift your focus. You got a thing right here on this? He will shift your focus. This is me. Oh, thank you, Lord. I just feel the Lord right now so strong, y'all. I just feel like the Lord is ministering in this moment. We just thank you right now, Lord. We just thank you right now, Jesus, God. Let's just take one moment because I just feel the Lord right here. We just thank you right now. Father, I just release healing right now over everyone in this room. Father, I just release healing in every heart, Lord, every wounded place, Jesus, every broken place, Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to release healing, release love and forgiveness, Jesus, release it right now, Father, hope, I just feel like God is just releasing hope in this moment right now for some of you, some of you have really battled through some challenges and discouragement and failure, some, some things, that even people, relationships, I see, it's like they have failed you, you've been hurt and wounded and you've been saying, how long God, how long is this going to take, Lord, Why? what's happening, but I just feel like Jesus right now is giving hope, he's speaking hope into this situation, so Jesus, we just thank you right now, Father. Mm, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. The second thing he did at the woman at the well is he, he meets us where we are, but then number two is he shifts our focus. How does he open wells within us? He, he shifts our focus. This woman's focus was on one thing, and he had to shift it. In one of these verses, listen to this. She says in verse 14, she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Come on, we know that that thing is deep now. Where are you going to get this living water? Here's what I want you to see. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who had this well, gave it to us, and drank from it from himself and his sons and flocks? And what she starts bringing into the dialogue with Jesus is that, wait a minute, are you greater than Jacob, our forefather? You know, who are you? Like, are you greater than, than even Jacob? And what, what happened is the Lord, how he opens up wells within us is he has to shift our focus sometimes. Her focus wasn't on God. Her focus was on Jacob. And what I want to bring into this moment right here about that is um, a lot of times we don't realize it, but our focus gets shifted. And, and we have to refocus. I feel like God is right now moving in the bride to reshift our focus. 
He's moving on our prophetic streams right now and reshifting the focus. I had this just happen to us since we've been in South Carolina. I'll share this real quick. We, um, we came to South Carolina. We moved from Wilmington to South Carolina. As soon as we moved, full-time missionaries launching out in faith. We get there, and God hits us with this word about rest. He's like, you, ha- you have to rest. So we went in this 12-week period of resting from all the running we did from last season. And in the rest, God reveals to us, to me personally, he reveals some things to Amber about my focus being off. And as you have guys heard my heart this week, one of the things that just burns me is revival. It's like the reason I'm, I felt like I was born is to see revival and awakening hit our generation. And it comes from that place of what I just shared. I mean, I experienced personal revival in my own life, but I want to see that multiplied. God, what about a generation being set free from heroin, you know, in, or in a city at one time? That's just, it just burns in me. But what began to happen was God said, uh, I had a vision, man. I was just, Lord, he was showing me in this rest period. And he actually showed me with an IV in my arm. God had given me an IV in my arm. And he goes, Michael, you're in recovery. I was like, What? That language, you know, I'm thinking, like, when I come out of addiction, recovery, I'm like, well, I'm not using drugs, Lord. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, no, you don't even realize it. You've been addicted to ministry. These last 10 years, you've, you've ran so hard. You've given so much. You, you don't realize you become addicted to ministry. And he said, I have to put you in recovery right now. And so what I had to end up doing was resist the urge to, like, go forward or cast vision or, or just do what we've always done. Go out in the streets like I was showing last night. Like, that was just so normal. But, but I had to resist the urge for that so I can rest and allow Jesus just to begin to recalibrate and reset my whole life. So in that process, the Lord showed me, he goes, your focus shifted. He goes, your focus became revival. He said, and I know why. He said, but that should not be your focus. Your focus has to be me. Me is, I'm the person, I'm the man, I'm Jesus. You have to keep your focus on me. Revival will come as a byproduct, but you have to shift your focus, even from that thing that's that good, back to me. And that was just huge for me. The woman at the well had focused on Jacob. What if we, even in our, our streams, our lives, it's so easy to find our validation from the stage or from platforms or from popularity. It's so easy in this generation, in our culture, to look and search for our validation, even from people that are important or credible. I mean, right, we like that. We like having people validate us or, or, or credible people around us because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel that we're doing the right thing. But if we're not careful, we'll find all our validation and worth in life from that place. And so what ends up happening is we have to shift that focus because long time down the road, that will always end up destroying us. This woman's focus was on Jacob. Now, Jacob was cool. He had some, like, you know, it was awesome. But Jacob wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't God. So he was trying to shift her focus back to what really matters. And I feel like God's doing that even in this room right now. Some of you personal lives that your focus has been just a little off. It's good, but God wants to reshift the focus. Amen? Come on. Reshift your focus. I want Amber to share her heart here. The third thing he does is he awakens deep wells within us, doesn't he, Amber? Yeah, so after he meets us where we are and he shifts our focus at the well, something begins to awaken. And so I was just, I feel like I've personally been in that season of awakening, especially since we moved. Our transition brought things out that we didn't know were there. <laughs> and um, so I just want to kind of share through the woman at the well story, her awakening and my awakening. Um, in our past season, I love worship. I love getting alone with God and just I hit like four chords on a keyboard and I just worship him. And um, and he would always meet me right there. Boom, 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 every single time. And so when we moved here, something shifted. And all of a sudden, he wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why. And so I realized quickly that my place, my personal place of worship had become an idol. And, you know, I love the spirit. We love the prophetic movement. Like, 
that's our heart. We love revival. We love manifestations of the spirit. Like, you know, especially when you're in corporate services, I often feel like I'm contending for that. Like, God, just move in a corporate way. Like, it's just awesome. You want people to encounter God. And I realized real quickly, like, that had become an idol in my life. And if he wasn't meeting me like I wanted him to meet me, I felt like something was wrong. And, I, you know, I'm like, is there sin in my life? Like, wh- where are you? And I realized I was hanging on too much of my emotions. It was too emotionally involved. Now, emotions are good. Emotions are healthy. But if it becomes our even our source of encounter with God, then, it's, then it becomes an idol. And the reward, the real, the goal with the Lord is transformation, not just emotional breakthrough. And so awakening began to really feel like abandonment. I felt abandoned. I was like, where are you, God? Like, you moved me here, and I'm meeting with you. I'm sitting, but you, you're not, you're not coming. You're not meeting with me, but your word says you never leave us for, you know, like I'm pulling out scriptures. He's challenging me theologically. I'm like, where are you, God? But he was awakening something deep inside of me and that he needed to take a step back because what had happened was, is I created this little box for him and I'd go stand right in it. Like, okay, come on. But he, he said, he stepped out of the box and said, it's time to grow up a little bit, so I need you to come out of that box. And so it, it set me on a journey, and I realized I, I was looking to Jesus and as a lover and, and as a friend, and that, that's important, but it's not the final place. Jesus came as a bridge to the Father, and there was something more that he was inviting me into. So a abandonment, what felt like abandonment, sent me on a search for something more. And I told Michael, like, we, I've heard this message several times with Cashwell, you know, that his soul was renewed and they, they knew there was something more. And I always thought it meant, you know, more of the, the glory coming down, more of this Holy Spirit manifestation in the in the tangible, but I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm realizing the more was here. Whether he, he comes in the natural or not, but it's something deeper inside of us, that's the more, and that, that's the personal journey I've been in. And so the transformation brings a knowing of who he is, and it it begins with exposure. Like, I, I love when he looks at her and he says, you have five husbands. And she says, oh, okay, well, you're a prophet. Like, boom, revelation. Oh, wow, okay. Like, I know who you are. You, you, know, my, you know me. <laughs> you done exposed me. And that's what happened when God stepped out of my box. He exposed some things in my heart that I had no clue were there. And it hurts at first. You're like, oof. But I'm I'm full of the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit. Like like I I can I can manifest you, and it makes me feel good. But what happens is he's going. But you're looking at you. I want you to look at me. And when he does that, it, it, this exposure happens. And I love what she says next. She says, "Okay, all right, you're a prophet. I get. I feel conviction now." And let me make it right. So do I go here and worship, or do I need to go to Jerusalem? Where is the right place to go and worship? And what does Jesus say? He says, it's not a place, but it's a posture. And it's a posture of your heart. And so the exposure (laughs) took me on a new journey of realizing that true transformation doesn't happen outwardly. Although that, that just, like he said, it just naturally comes in the process. But it happens in a posture of your heart and not a place. And so, 
what I really realized, and it hurt, because I wasn't raised in church. I never felt like I struggled with the religious spirit. I'm like, I don't really battle that, you know. But the Lord was like, but this is religious. Even in the prophetic movement, I think we become guilty of being religious if we're worried more about what's happening outwardly than what's happening inward. And so that is the the personal journey that I'm on with the spirit, soul, and body. <laughs> like, what does that really look like? I thought it was really funny because I was I just started reading a book, Spirit and Soul and Body by Andrew Walmack, and I come and sit down, and I'm like, it's just staring me in the face. <laughs> like, I can't get away from it. <laughs> but the true transformation, not just Holy Spirit, you know, but that true transformation that happens with our mind, being renewed by his presence, that true transformation happens, that we're not just getting a hit from God because someone laid hands on us or having this good, weepy moment with the Lord. And trust me, I love those. I live. I love those moments. I, and I want other people to have those moments. But a more deep transformation that happens. Yeah. said there with this woman at the well you know it's when this awakening because we we're in there we're I know I don't know about you guys but Amber and I we are actually in a personal awakening moment right now in our personal life and the awakening is like she was saying for us it looks almost like it's been right in front of us the whole time (laughs) it's like being awakened to what's already there does that make sense? Sometimes everything is already right in front of us or right already inside of us, and Jesus has to awaken us to see that in us. That's what was happening with this woman. And when she goes down, what Amber just said about, she goes to Jesus like, look, you know, Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but Samaritans say we're supposed to worship here. You know, what do you say? There's a, there's a cultural divide. In the South right now, it, there is such a cultural challenge with the church. You know what that cultural challenge is that we run into all the time? Is that a lot of times people in the South go to church on Sunday morning because that's just what you've always done. It's what we've always done. You just go to church. And, and, and a lot of times, I mean, it'd be clubbing Saturday night, hitting it up Friday night or whatever, or just living any type of life. But come Sunday morning, you're going to be in church just because that's what you've always done. And that's what the southern culture has always taught us. But I, I feel like what Jesus is doing, it's the same paradigm that's, that she was grappling through this cultural uh, divide about worship. And, and Jesus is coming to her, and what he's awakening her to is why? Why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Why? Why do you follow me? Like, what are you in it for? What, what is the real reason why you're doing Why are we gathering here? Why are we here this weekend, right? What are we doing? Why? What is the why behind this? Why, why, why? And the Lord has just been really hitting us with, with the why. It's just measuring, you know, who, who we really are inside and why we're following Jesus. And that's something I really want to just challenge you. I feel like I wouldn't be doing a good job if I didn't challenge you here this morning. Do you know why? If I ask everybody in this room right now one-on-one, do you love Jesus? I'm sure everybody's going to say yes, of course. But then if I say why, can you articulate an answer? Do you really know why? Do you really know why you come or why we come? This is something God has been dealing with us about. He's like, why, Michael? Why are you really following me? And it's just reawakening to us to, oh, man, we really want to follow you. We really want to believe in you. And what's happening in the process, it's like strengthening our roots, and our roots are going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Because there's, there's a part of this that Jesus is literally, I feel this in my heart, he's raising up maturity and the bride of Christ in, in this hour. He is so wanting our the bride. Because it says he's going to come out for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And it says in Revelation that the bride will make herself ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a part that the bride does and, and makes herself ready. That's good. I just want to read this part out of, out of the story. 
The woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. So in her heart, she's wanting to get it right. Like, what's the right thing to do? And Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of spirit and truth. And so what I was doing, I was worshiping for self-gratification, so to speak. There was something inside of me that it feels good. And even if you look at the Shulamite woman through the Song of Solomon and her journey and her process, she's looking at herself and she's going, oh, I'm ugly, I'm black. Like I have all this on me. And through the transformation of her journey with the bride, bridegroom, all of a sudden her affections are taken off of her and it's on him. And she starts to speak of, oh, you, my dear one, my lovely one, there is none like you. And I feel like that's what was happening here, too, with, with the woman at the well. He was going, stop looking at yourself. Like, even right now, worship becomes this self-fulfillment, so to speak. But when we turn our affections towards him, we really learn how to adore him. That that's worshiping in spirit and truth. And that's what digs those deep roots because no matter what happens horizontally, we know who he is. I want to strike the ground. I want to kind of land this plane with this. Here's the final part I want to share on this is that, okay, it is a woman at the well. And there is a reason why it is a Samaritan, but then also a Samaritan woman. Now, when Jesus says in this last verse, as Amber just read, look at this verse 26, last verse I want to read. He goes, let me back up, 25. Then the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And this is this next verse is like, you got to highlight this thing and remember it, get it really deep. And Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. And why is that so significant and important? It's because, because she allows Jesus to take her through the brokenness, the awakening, shifts her focus. He gets her to this one moment. And then he's able to go, I'm he who you're searching for. Why is that significant? Because she is the first person in the New Testament before Jesus' disciples that Jesus clearly explains and reveals himself as the king, as the Messiah. She is privileged to be the first one in the entire New Testament to receive the revelation of who this man really is. Not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, but the Christ, the Messiah. He goes, I am he. He explains that. Look how much Jesus values women. Women right now are under attack in the body of Christ. I don't know if you've been following some of the news feeds that's been going on with with John MacArthur's latest comments with Beth Moore in this whole thing about about women in ministry. And I feel like it's just a sign of the times. God has been speaking to us even before this, like the last two and three months, that God is raising up women in this hour. Like this is the women's hour in America. And this passage right here is so powerful because she is the first person, the first person to be, to, I mean, get that, to get Jesus' revelation of who he is, is a Samaritan woman. That's like the, the lowest of the society and their culture and their day. She's the one who gets the first revelation of who he is. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because what's the rest of the story say? She gets so excited, she leaves the, the jar of water down, and what she do? She goes, tell everybody. And it throws the whole 
town into a two-day revival. And the whole city gathers around this woman's testimony to the feet of Jesus. And the whole region is breaking forth with revival and awakening. She becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament. The first evangelist was a woman. Come on. She wins this whole town to Jesus. There's even some notes in uh, some of the study notes that say she goes on to be a martyr. This woman's transformed. She's changed. But she evangelizes the whole town and the whole region. You can't shut her up. You can't lock her down. You can't suppress her voice. There's no religion. There's nothing that can come. She's been awakened, man. She's had an encounter with Jesus. And now the whole city is coming to the Lord. I feel that even right now, I wanted to release this, that God is just marking some of you women in here right now in this very moment because you guys are carrying something very powerful, something that is very needed right now in the earth. Women, God is raising up godly women in this hour that will literally release heaven on earth. Oh, can you guys stand up with me? I feel a prophecy right now. I just want to prophesy over every woman in this house. I want you guys to stand up with me right now. Just, just close your eyes. Just hold your hands out. And I just want to just release this over the women in this house. Father, right now we break off every spirit of fear and rejection. We break off every spirit of suppression, God. Every, every religious spirit, everything in this whole area that has tried to keep women down, God. And Lord, we know that you love women. You value women. And Jesus, I pray right now that you would begin to release fire over the women of this house. That you would begin to wake them up in their souls and their spirits like never before. I pray that some of them will find their voice again, that they will sing and that they would release and proclaim the word of the Lord. God says, I am raising up women in Alabama in this moment. I am raising up women in this state. It is the hour of the women in Alabama. I am raising you up because it is you who will challenge the Jezebel spirit in the land. It is you who will challenge the religiosity and the religious demons and devils that have held my church back in the south for centuries. It is the women in this house and in this region who will begin to release freedom into the atmosphere. The Lord says, daughter, take your stand. Strike the ground. Don't give up. Don't look back. Don't look to the left or to the right. Focus on me. Hear my voice. Hear my heart. And I will show you great and mighty things. No eye is seen. No ear is heard. All that I have prepared for you. I am raising you up in this moment. Don't look back. Look to me. I will release signs and wonders over your life. I will give you extraordinary boldness in the days to come. You will have courage and faith that you have never known. I am going to connect you with other women that are godly in this community. I'm going to raise up a women's movement out of this area that would begin to release revival and awakening. That would release I see discipling movements, women discipling movements, women mentoring movements. Some of you here are coaches in the spirit. I see God, you're coaching younger women that are hurted and wounded. God, we thank you right now. Whoa, we thank you right now, Jesus. We thank you right now, Father. The first woman sent to China, 13-year-old Anna Dean Cole from that revival. God, she was a woman. It was a girl. She was a female from Kimberly, Alabama that became an offering for a generation and a nation to receive you, Lord. God, we thank you for the women in this area, for the women in the south you're raising up again, Father, all over this nation. Whoa, we thank you right now. Wow, we thank you right now. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you right now. Mm. I just see the Lord releasing dreams right now. I see him releasing hope. Fresh vision. I just see fresh fire, fresh vision, freshness. I just hear the word fresh, fresh, fresh. God's going to give some of you fresh downloads. He's going to give some of you fresh assignments. He's going to give some of you fresh checks. I see fresh resources. I see fresh monetary value. I just see fresh relationships. I see fresh, uh, just, just air, just literally life coming in and breathing in this place, Father. Thank you. 
We thank you right now, Jesus. We thank you right now. We thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would raise up the men in this house, Father. That you would raise up the men in this house, God, to literally undergird and help strengthen, God, women in this community, Father. Lord, I thank you for the revelation that they already carry about that, Lord. And I pray that you would just show them and equip them in the days ahead, God, of how to encourage, God, uh, women evangelists and women speakers and, and ministers and coaches and and and. and business financers, God, that how to literally pour in to, to, to women that you are setting apart for yourself, Jesus. God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God. We thank you that well, the first one in the garden to see you at the tomb was Mary. God, we thank you for what you did in, in Mary Magdalene's life and all the women of the Bible, Jesus. You love women. You value them, Jesus. Lord, and we just thank you. Even, even right now, God, I just want to, as a leader in the Carolinas in the South, I just want to repent, Jesus. I just want to say that I'm sorry on behalf of pastors and leaders, God, where we have literally just rejected the idea of women in leadership, where we have just, just kind of just ridiculed and, 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 and just suppressed so many, so many women down, Father. I just ask for forgiveness right now, Lord. I pray that you would restore us back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I just want to share the dream I had last night. I had a dream I was sitting in a church, not one I'm, I'm familiar with, and there was an unclean spirit trying to attack me. And there were two gentlemen sitting in front of me. And, um, like, I pushed him off, and I was like, and I told him No. And But it, it began to attack me again. And this gentleman sitting in the front row got up and turned around and literally, like, whoosh, like took him out for me. And I was sharing the dream with Michael, and I was like, and he was like, I really feel like that's a representation of what's happening in the bride right now. The women are being attacked. But I think what was really important is that it took another man to stand up to take down the enemy. And so I really feel like, too, it's important not just for women to step into their place, but as women are stepping into their place, for men to go to war for the women so, to, so that they can walk out the fullness and the purposes of what God has for them. And, you know, I know everything that's been on the media right now, but I told Michael, I was like, I just think it's even more confirmation that God is really getting ready to do something really big with women because the enemy always tries right before and so I'm like he's just making the platform even easier for women to step up and take charge yeah Come on. thank you Lord amen Jesus so good ain't he awesome you guys want to stand and Paul turn it back to you